Tonight I want to talk to you about a subject that has become very dear to my heart. And the title, before we begin, let's define what we're actually even talking about. Two words tonight I want us to look at. The first one is intrinsic. The second one is imposed. And those of you who were here two years ago, we discussed this a little bit then. We're going to continue this year with a deeper look at it. Remember when we talk about the term intrinsic, if a child is running down the sidewalk, and I don't know if you still spank children here in Arizona. You probably do, you just don't admit it. If a child is running down the sidewalk and you say, listen, if you continue running down the sidewalk, I'm going to pick you up by the scruff of your neck and tan your hide. And that child continues running down the sidewalk and you follow through with your threat. Would there be pain involved? Yes. yes. But is that pain intrinsic to the nature of the activity they were engaging in or have you imposed it upon them for that activity? Now, if you say to this child, if you continue running down the sidewalk, I, uh, there's the potential that you could trip and fall and skin your knee. And that child ignores your, your, your statement and continues running and it happens. They trip, they fall, they skin their knee. Would there be pain involved? Yes, but did you impose that pain upon them for running on the sidewalk? Or was it intrinsic to the nature of the activity they were engaging in? The reason I bring this up tonight, and I want to be very clear, one is not right and one is not wrong. Both are right and both are wrong. Let me explain to you why. A child that is five years old, would it be right to let them just figure out intrinsically that if they stick their hand in the fire, they're going to get burned? Would that be kind? No. What would, which one would they need, the intrinsic or the imposed? So for the five-year-old, the imposed would be a better option, a correct option. Are you with me? If you are, say yes. A 35-year-old... Would it be right to relate to them under the imposed? No. Would someone write a letter to my mother, please? <laughs> Intrinsic is the way that we hope we could relate to our children. So both are right, both are wrong. Are you hearing me tonight? Depending upon the context. The challenge is most of us, we've been talking this week about entering into something much deeper with God, something much more intimate. The challenge is that most of us have only learned to relate to God in which model? Intrinsic or imposed? Imposed. In other words, the reason we engage in certain behaviors is because if we engage in them, who will bless us? And the reason we refrain from certain behaviors is because if we do those, God will punish us. If you're with me, say yes. yes. This is the level at which most of us have experienced obedience or worship. Let's look at it tonight. Genesis 2. Verse 16 through 17, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but the fruit of the tree which is in the, mm, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not, for in the day that thou eat from it, you will surely what? Now that word die there is a verb. And I know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, correct? But the Hebrew Old Testament was also translated into... Greek, and that's called the Septuagint. If you didn't know that, you don't need to remember it. It won't do you a lick of good in life, okay? But just for those of you who want to make sure you're academically sound, in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, the Greek version of the Old Testament, in the Greek language, verbs had voice. And what I mean by that, is it okay if I teach you a little Greek tonight? Little Greek never killed anybody. Little Hebrew once did, but little Greek never did. <laughs> Some of you are like, what's he talking about? In the Greek, there are three voices. There is an active voice, a passive voice, and a middle voice. Now, whenever we say, Tom hit the ball, in that sentence, what's the subject? What's the, what's the verb? 
hit. Now, is the subject doing the action or receiving the action? Doing the action. So the voice of the verb hit would be active. Have I lost anybody yet? If we say Tom was hit by the ball, what is still the subject? What is still the verb? But now hit is passive because the subject is receiving the action. If you're with me still, say yes. yes. But if the sentence stated that Tom hit himself, which one is it? Is the subject still Tom? Is the verb still hit? But which voice does the verb hit have? Active or passive? Yes. And so therefore we would say it's Middle, because he is both the doer and the receiver of the action of the verb. It is interesting when we note the voice of that verb die in Genesis chapter 2. It is not just active and it is not just passive. Guess which voice it is? Middle. So in essence, what is the Greek whispering to us? When God said, in the day you eat of it, you will die look at proverbs 8:36 he who sins against me what does it say injures himself all those who hate me love what proverbs 132 the waywardness of the naive will what kill them the complacency of fools will what destroy them in James 1, 14 through 15, it says each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and? And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to? And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth what? Now, if this was the only verse of the Bible we had, where would we tonight believe that death comes from? But under the imposed model, where does death come from? Oh, come on now. Am I the only Adventist in the room? <laughs> Under the imposed model, where are we afraid of death coming from? God. After all, if you disobey, the wages of sin is... And we totally don't understand that verse at all. But we're going to get to it. But if you only had James 1, where would you think death comes from? No, if you only had James 1, where would you think death comes from? Sin. From sin. sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth what? Death. You would think that it was more intrinsic, that death would be more intrinsic to sin. Titus 1, 4 through 8, Paul says that bodily discipline is only of little profit. Some of you say, see Herb, that's why I don't exercise. Even the Bible says it only helps a little. We won't touch that. But notice it says, but godliness is profitable for how many things? Oh, okay. How many things? Why? Since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Both now and in the age to come, according to the scriptures, is godliness profitable? Why? This is how I think it works. I don't think God set up in heaven one day and said, you know, when he was creating the universe, I don't think he said all of this fun stuff over here, I'm going to call that sin. And all this boring stuff over here, I'm going to call that holy, just, and good. And if you don't play by my rules, I'm going to pounce on you. Which model would that be, intrinsic or imposed? Imposed. I don't think that's how it works. I think when God was creating the universe, he saw the potential for things that would bring pain, heartache, and suffering. He also saw the potential for things that would create life, joy, and happiness. And he said, these things that cause pain, these things are wrong. These things that cause life, these things are wholly just and good. 
And if that's really the way it works, you'll have to forgive me for one more moment. I'm from the South. Do you know what that means? I live in the, the Bible Belt. And I was raised a Baptist, so I can get away with saying this, okay? You have to understand, in the South, we have more Baptists than we have people. <laughs> but if what we're saying is correct, something is not wrong because God says so. Are you hearing me tonight? God says so because it's wrong. And what is it that makes something right or wrong? Think of your title tonight. What is it that makes something right or wrong? The intrinsic results of that activity. If you're with me so far, say yes. That's why Paul says that godliness is profitable just not for the life to come, but even the life present. Why? Because godliness is all of those things that intrinsically bring life and happiness and freedom now. We're going to get to why this is so important. I keep in my head trying to get ahead of myself. But this is so incredibly vital for us today at this moment of time in our church. Galatians 6, 7 through 8, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he what. Do you see the intrinsic language being used here? If you plant a carrot seed, where does the carrot come from? Does a plastic bag that says Safeway drop out of the sky filled with carrots? Well, it, God approves of you planting that seed and therefore he sends you artificially, externally, some carrots. Is that how it works? Now, where do the carrots come from? The seed, the seed itself. It says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Do you see two different sources here so far? In Romans 7... I know that sometimes Paul is very difficult to understand, but we're going to endeavor to make this very simple tonight. It says, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions. Anybody ever experienced those before? Be honest. Anybody ever experienced sinful passions? They became aroused by the law. Now, we need to be clear. The law at its base core is not a set of rules. It is a revelation of whom? Of God. So when we encounter the law, we're coming at some level in contact with a revelation of whom? Of God. When we see God, whom else do we see? Our sinful passions become aroused. In other words, we become aware of how out of harmony we are with this God we perceive through the law. They become aroused. They're at work in our members. Follow closely. They're at work in our members to bear, what does it say? Fruit. What is the fruit that sin produces? Not death because the fruit, notice the verse. The fruit is for what? Death. So in this verse, death and the fruit are two separate things. Are you hearing me this evening? What is the fruit that sin produces? Anybody here ever sinned? Even once. Anybody? What does sin produce? All of what you have just said, I believe, can be summed up with one word. Psychological and emotional torment. Anyone ever been there before? When we see God, we see our sin, we're filled with psychological and emotional torment. And that fruit, if we're to bear the full weight of it, what does it produce next in the verse? Death. If you were to bear the full weight of sin, what would it do to you tonight? It would kill you. Am I right? Intrinsically, it would crush out your life, would it not? 
Have you ever known someone who their conscience was so plagued by guilt and condemnation that their body actually began to break down as a result of it? They had a physical response to it. Anyone ever heard of stories like that before? Have you ever known anyone that actually died only from guilt? Anyone ever ever known someone like, ever heard of a story? Anyone? Anyone? Anybody? Not committed suicide? Yes, thank you. All of us have. Because when he took our sin upon himself, did it create in him a sense of such guilt and condemnation that it crushed out his life suspended between heaven and earth and between two thieves? Yeah, what was it that actually crushed out the life of Jesus? The anger of a bloodthirsty God? Or was it the intrinsic results of our sin? Are you hearing me? They were working our members to bear fruit for death. What should we say then? That the law is sin? Is the problem in God? The revelation of God? No, because angels hang out in the presence of God all day long. And are they annihilated by it? Then what's the difference? Is there a difference between us and angels? Yes, and what is the difference? We have sin. They don't. Notice, what should we say then? Is the law sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I was alive once apart from the law. But when the commandment came, what does it say? Sin revived and I what? I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be what? Death to me. For, underline this, for sin, finding opportunity in the commandment deceived me and by it killed me. What is it that's killing Paul in this verse? It's sin, and that's, that's the next, it's so, so the law is holy, the commandment is holy, just, and good. This is probably one of the most beautiful questions Paul ever asked in any of his writings. He said, oh, memorize this, did that which is good then bring death to me? Under the imposed model, we would say what? Yes, but Paul makes an interesting statement. He says, by no means. It was what? Sin producing death in me through what is good. This is why I believe in, in Exodus 33, Moses asked, how many are familiar with this story? How many are familiar with Moses asked, Lord, show me your glory. What did God say? You, no man can see my face and what? Live. Why? Is it like the Godfather? God says, well, I'd show you, but I'd have to kill you. Is that how it works? It's like a big secret? No, if, you, if Moses were to see God, what would he come in contact with at that moment? His own sin. And if he were to see that in its fullness, what would he be filled with to the fullness? Torment. And if he was to bear the full weight of that torment, what would have been the end result? No man can see me and live. Is it imposed or intrinsic? So far, all of these verses are whispering to us, it's intrinsic. Look at Isaiah 6. In the year of King Isaiah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, now this is amazing because so many people, even last night when we put up that third category, you said you you would like God to be what? Do you remember? Present. Present or visible. How many remember us writing that down last night? Were you here? I want God to be visible. Really? <laughs> Are you sure? Because if God were to show up right now, visibly present to all of us, would you endure that revelation? See, this is exactly what God is up against. It's a very precarious position because most of all, in order for us to experience salvation, we desperately need to see who. But if he reveals too much, too fast, that which will save us will also what? It'll kill us. So God has to reveal himself to us little by little, here a little, there a little, in safe doses. This explains so much. How many have ever been, honestly tonight, how many have ever been frustrated by the complexity of the scriptures? How many have ever said, man, why isn't it just simple? 
I had a friend once said, if I were God, I love it when people say that. Please tell me, how would you do it better? They said, if I were God, I would have written the Bible totally differently. I said, well, how would you write it? He said, if God's so good, if God's so beautiful, I would have just, you know, opening the scriptures upon first glance, not here a little, there a little, upon first glance, you would just see it. And I thought about that. Initially, that sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? But we have to understand something. Anyone familiar with graphs? On a scale of 0 to 12, don't ask me why I picked 12, I just like that number. On both scales, you cannot go from left to right, is that right? Yes, you cannot go from left to right without going from bottom to top. Are you with me? The further we progress in our knowledge of God, the further we progress in our knowledge of sin. Can you see that? So, so much so that if we reach this point right here, prematurely, too fast, what will it do to us? It'll crush out our life. And so God has to reveal himself to us a little bit at a time. And this is how I believe it works. He reveals a little bit of himself and we see a little bit of ourselves. And at that point, we have a decision to make. Either I am so sinful, I will never be good enough. We can choose that option. Or instead of seeping into self-pity, we can let the whole wicked business go and say, yes, I'm a sinner, but praise God, he came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And we can let the whole wicked business go. And then once that happens, now we're ready for what? to see a little bit more and as we see a little bit more of him we see a little bit more of whom ourselves and then again we feel bad do we not and we have that option I will never be good enough how many have ever felt like that before please do not stay there Jesus Christ came to save sinners he justifies the ungodly where sin abounds grace does much more abound. Yes, we are sinners. But God loves sinners. Let the whole wicked business go. Say, I'd rather have Jesus than that. And then you're ready to see more. And here's the point. At some point in this progression, which one is infinite? God's love or your sin? See, your sin is infinite. Sorry, finite. Thank you. It's like, why are they looking at me funny? Your sin is finite. God's love is infinite. So as you're progressing, at some point, which one's going to run out? You're going to see enough of God that there's nothing more to reveal about yourself. You've encountered all of that in a, at a slow enough pace. And you've accepted forgiveness that every time now you see something, yes, you know you've sinned, but you stand there in the full assurance that no matter how you've sinned, you have been also forgiven. And now you're at the place where you can just step into eternity and the revelation of God can continue unhindered. How many want that? That's the process of salvation that I believe he's leading all of us through. Some of us, it takes a while, amen? amen? But God's moving as quickly as he can. Isaiah did not look at this experience and say, woohoo, this is what I've always wanted. He encountered this experience and instead he said what? Woe is me, I am what? Ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the when Jesus returns it says the kings of the earth the great men the rich men the commanders the mighty men every slave and every free man they hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and they said to the mountains and the rocks fall on us hide us from the what could Moses not see and live the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the 
Have anyone ever thought about that statement? The wrath of the... Brothers and sisters, what is a lamb? A sheep. What kind of a sheep? A baby sheep. And, and what is it that we're asking to be hid from? The... What's another word for wrath? The anger. So what they're saying is, hide us from the anger of the baby sheep. Have you thought about that? I mean, really, how bad can it get? <laughs> Just kidding. Now, don't misunderstand me. Is there something to fear that day? Yes! But we thought it was the lamb. And it's not God that we should be afraid of. What is it? Sin. Jesus came to save us, not from an angry God. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save us from sin. God is not the enemy. Sin is. God has never needed reconciled to man. Man has needed to be reconciled to God. Isaiah 33, it says, Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will behold a far distant land. And as glorious as that sounds, it says, though, that your heart will meditate on what? Terror. Terror. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when, what does it say? No one is pursuing. Why are they running away? Why is it terrifying? If he's not coming as anything but a baby sheep. Why is it so terrifying? Because brothers and sisters, what is it they're really running from on that day? This or this? The torment. And what is it that's causing this? This or this? The sin. What's the enemy on that day? See, God's goal, God's goal is for your sin to be replaced with something else. His forgiveness. So that on that day when he returns, yes, when you see his glory, you'll see your sin, but you will stand there in the full assurance once again that no matter what you've done, you have been what? And then what will that produce psychologically and emotionally? What's the opposite of torment? Being justified by faith, we have peace with God and we will step from that peace into life everlasting how many want that that's what it's about is it not that we will be restored to live in the presence of an other centered God once again what a miracle amen some say but wait a second Herb all of that sounds really good but you must have skipped the first half of the Bible because there are passages in the Bible that are not intrinsic. They are definitely imposed. There are passages where God does not say, if you continue doing this, sin will get you. He says, if you continue doing this, I will get you. Doesn't God say that sometimes in the scriptures? And remember, the imposed and the intrinsic, we are so polarized in our thinking we look at one as right and the other is wrong both are right and both are wrong both are biblical are you hearing me tonight both are biblical tried to explain it and I gave this illustration the last time I was here for those of you who were here this is a, a repeat for those of you who weren't here anybody here of a mom Growing up, you did not mess with my mother. She was five and three quarters. She never made it to five one. She wanted to all her life. But she only made it to five and three quarters. But she made up in, for it in attitude, what she lacked in that quarter of an inch. She was short, but she, you, she is four inches shorter than I. But you still did not mess with that woman. Now, she had a very liberal parenting philosophy growing up. She believed that every child just needed a little guidance. 
with a very little bit of involvement from a parent, the child would discover for themselves the intrinsic nature of life, what's beneficial and what's harmful, and they would naturally choose what's beneficial and refrain from what's harmful. I tested that theory. Especially the day at age 14 when she caught me smoking cigarettes. Now, if there is anyone here tonight that smokes, God loves you, whether you smoke or not. Amen? I'm, you don't need me to stand up here and tell you they're going to kill you. You already know that, correct? And you are welcome anytime. This is not about you if you smoke, okay? This is my story, got it? This is about me. My mother caught me smoking. And she, you could see her. She was so challenged by this. Because this disproved everything she thought about child rearing. So she was really confounded. She sat me down. She was wringing her hands. She said, Herb, I know that you needed to figure things out on your own here. And you needed to experiment with this and discover what it's all about. She says... I'm going to trust. She says, you're not in trouble this time. She said, I'm going to trust that you learned everything you needed to learn about cigarettes on the first experiment. She said, because if I ever catch you smoking again, she looked me in the eye and she said, you won't need to worry about lung cancer. She said, I'll kill ya. <laughs> she very quickly went for, she very quickly switched models, did she not? She went from intrinsic to imposed. Why? She abandoned her whole parenting philosophy. Why? At age 14, now I'm not saying other 14-year-olds can't, but this 14-year-old couldn't. At age 14, could I connect the dots between the, the intrinsic connection? Could I connect the lung cancer that I could contrive 50 years from now with the decisions I was making today? Could I do that? No, no. Now, was that still the truth intrinsically? That's still a reality. It's still there. But could I get it in my head at age four? If mom would have said, Herb, you keep smoking those. Those are going to kill you one day. What would I have said at age 14? Nah. So in order for me to get the connection between smoking and dying, what did she have to do? Give me a close-up. You smoke, you die. Period. Now, in order for me to get that connection, temporarily, in my thinking, in my headspace, who had to be the source of that death? She did, for me to understand the connection. But parents in the room, answer me honestly. Is that the way you want it to always be with your kids? At some point, you're hoping that they will realize it's not you that's going to hurt them. It's what they're doing that's going to hurt them. Am I right? At some point, you want them to grow up, do you not? And I cannot help but think, yes. <laughs> you guys have teens? No, they say we have 30-year-olds. Maybe. I cannot help but think sometimes God sits up there in heaven and wishes we'd just grow up. That we would grow up. That we realize that it's not him we're really to be afraid of. If he has to be the one that we're afraid of in order for us to refrain from self-destructive behavior... He is happy to be the source of death in our thinking and relate to us that way. But is that his ultimate desire for us to view him that way? He would hope that one day we would realize it's not him we're to fear. It's sin. Let me share with you just one last verse and then I want to share with you. All of what I've shared with you tonight is a summary form of what I shared with you two years ago. 
But tonight I want to share with you significantly more what has developed over the last two years and show you why it's important. Before we go there, look at one more verse. Look at Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. There are three things here compared. I'm going to list the first one. You're going to guess the second one. The, the one in the third category is death. What is contrasted to death in this verse? Life. Good. Good. The, the, the second one is wages. What is compared to wages in this verse? Yeah. Gift. Good. And the first one in the verse is sin. The wages of sin is death. What is contrasted with sin? No. We already said life. Someone said it. God. The gift of, talk to me, of God is life. The wages of sin is what? In this verse, where does the life come from? Where does the, the death come from? Does everyone see that in this verse? We read the wages of sin is death. And we think what it's saying is if I sin, God will what? Kill me. But it's not, it says the wages of Sin is just as much death as the gift of God is life. Isn't that a cool verse? Why is this significant? Number one, it's important for us to understand this for the sake of the gospel. Last night, remember I talked about people saying to me, Herb, don't tell people God loves them no matter what they do. And I said, well, isn't that true? And they said, yes, it's true, but don't tell anybody. And I said, why? And they said, well, if you tell people God loves them no matter what they do, they'll think they can just go out and... Why is that true tonight? Because we have presented a picture to the world that has revolved solely in which paradigm, imposed or intrinsic? Even our understanding of the cross is in, in the imposed paradigm. And thank God that he had a whipping boy to take it out on so he wouldn't do it to us. Am I right? That's the way we view it. Some of you are saying no. Some of you may be the exception to the rule. But when you turn on Christian radio... As Christians, which gospel are we giving to the world? When we explain the cross, which paradigm do we explain it through? Intrinsic or imposed? Imposed. That's what we're producing. That's what we're shouting to the world. Ultimately, what this does is it has to limit our gospel. Because notice, notice where we're left at. The reason we've been, under the imposed model, the reason we've been refraining from sin is because if you sin, what's going to happen? God will what? Punish you. Now we go out and say, if you sin, God still loves you. And now we think, well, there's no reason to not sin then. That's what some people think. That's why it's so important to understand the intrinsic. Because, yes, God, this is truth. God does love you no matter what you do. Amen? But sin doesn't. And no matter how much God loves you, sin will still hurt you. Will it not? intrinsically but if you don't understand that you are left with this quandary of not being able to tell people God loves them no matter what they do because there's a potential that they could go out and hurt themselves now am I right and so there's this crowd within our church that will always hold back the gospel from being fully proclaimed and rightly so because without understanding the intrinsic nature of life it could be cruel. If my mother had said, if you continue smoking, these cigarettes will kill you. And I ignored it. Would it be an act of love for her 
to ignore that. No. No. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? For the sake of the gospel, for us to be able to proclaim the gospel in its purity and to do it safely, the intrinsic reality of life must be understood. It must be. The other aspect is the law. And I wish we had time to preach a whole sermon on this. I remember when I went to college for first semester, I was no longer under the law. I thought, woohoo, I can do whatever I want. That first semester at college was probably the worst few months of my life. I realized very quickly that, I, that although all things were now lawful for me, not all things were profitable. The imposed had been removed, but was the intrinsic still a reality? Yes. When will we understand that in the Old Testament, you had people that needed the imposed, did they not? Did the children of Israel need that after 400 years of slavery? So God, Abraham didn't need it, but the children of Israel needed it, did they not? So God comes down to Mount Sinai, he gives a list of 10 rules. And what does he attach to those rules? Like a good parent, what does he attach to those rules? Punishments and rewards. We call them blessings and cursings, but they're still there, are they not? Now remember, is that the way God wanted it to always be? As a parent, I'm going to impose something here in a minute. Because Jesus didn't die for him. He will not be in heaven. Amen. I hate bugs. Ugh. Yeah, see? Necessary part of God's creation. Is that what someone said? I'm thankful heaven won't have them. Where were we before the bug interrupted? Yes, blessing. as a parent, when you lay down rules for your teenager and you impose punishments and rewards based on how they perform in relation to your rules, is that the way you want it to be forever? No, at some point, you hope they turn 18 or some 21 or in some households like mine, 40. That's right. At some point, you hope it changes. Amen. That's why, think about it, in the Old Testament, if you bought gas on the way home from church in the Old Testament, what would have been the result? You'd be dead. Is that what they do nowadays? No, no. If they try, but no, no. They don't pick up rocks and throw them at you. They use other things, but they don't end your life. They just ruin your life, but they don't end it. If a woman and a man are caught in adultery in the church today, are they executed? No. But would they have been in the Old Testament? So we even know that in a sense, we are no longer under the law. Now, is sin still intrinsically harmful? Yes. In other words, is the Sabbath still intrinsically a blessing? Yes, is murder still intrinsically harmful? Is adultery still intrinsically harmful? But in the New Testament, why do we obey? Why do we live this way? Because the law tells us to? No, that is old covenant. We do it because of the intrinsic results that the law taught us about. Do you hear what I'm saying? Is the behavior still the same? But is the reason we do it the same? No. The worst answer we can give the world as to why we go to church on Saturday is to open up to Exodus 20 and show them the fourth commandment. That is the reason they say we're under the old covenant. Basically, it's as if someone were to say, Herb, why don't you smoke? Why don't you smoke? And I were to say, because if I did, my mother would kill me. At age 35, is that true? Yes. <laughs> but you get my point. 
It helps us understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament God too, doesn't it? Does a parent relate to a five-year-old, hopefully, different than they do to a 35-year-old child? Yes. The coming of Christ brought a transition, Galatians chapter 3 and 4. To where we are no longer treated as children needing a schoolmaster. We're no longer treated as slaves. There's a transition that has been made. The children of Israel, it's not that God was different in the Old Testament than the New. It's that God's people were different in the Old Testament and the New. There was less light revealed before Christ as has been revealed afterwards. Am I right? Human nature, yes, is the same, but we have the privilege of having greater enlightenment. And so now God expects us to live intrinsically. But ultimately, do you know what it does? It changes the way we do evangelism. Think about it. Have you wondered why public evangelism is ceasing to work in North America? Now, some of you are already upset. No, no, Herbert, it still works. Do you know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. Are you hearing me? So I'm saying, no, Herb, public evangelism still works. Yes, public evangelism still works. But we've got to do it differently than the way we did it in 1950. Are you hearing me tonight? You say, but Herb, even that still works. Okay, fine. Yes, it still works. But those, the, the, the demographic out there for whom it works is getting smaller and smaller every year. You see, 50 years ago, American society was happy to live even as a society in an imposed model. Just tell us what's right or wrong and we'll do it. But we are living in a world today that doesn't think like that. We are living in a postmodern world. And the postmoderns are not asking what is right or wrong. The postmoderns are asking why. That's, and that's the simplest definition of the postmodern mind you can come to. All they're asked, they're not rebelling. They're just asking, why is right right and wrong wrong? And we're still saying, because God says so. No wonder we're not reaching them. Are you hearing me? What the postmodern world needs is not to hear that the Sabbath is in the commandments. What the postmodern world needs to hear is why the Sabbath is one of the commandments. In other words, what is the intrinsic blessing? What difference does it make? If we could take all of our beliefs and start to present them in the intrinsic model rather than the imposed model, then our churches would start filling up again. We get excited over 12 baptisms in North America. God is at work. And we say, the latter rain's falling. Well, how? how? Well, because look at those third world countries. Brothers and sisters, two reasons. Honestly, I hate to say this. Every church is having success in third world countries. They are so desperate. They respond to anything. But number two, in third world countries... They are not postmodern. Are you hearing me? So the imposed model still works for them. Are you with me? The way we used to do it still works over there. Hear me. Truth is still truth in North America, is it not? Truth is still truth in North America, is it not? And it still can reach the masses, can it not? Yes, but we have got to learn to present it in the intrinsic model rather than the imposed. How many would like to learn how to present our Adventist teachings in, intrinsically rather than imposed? Because all of us basically, and I'm just speaking for myself, I know this is a huge assumption, but 99% of us in this room probably became an Adventist under the imposed model, didn't we? Didn't we? Go to church on Saturday or get the plagues, didn't we? 
It's time to grow up. Thank God, amen? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But the greatest reason why this is important, listen carefully. Do you know the biggest reason why this is important tonight? Listen carefully. Do you know the biggest reason why this is important to understand tonight? Because adults too should not be filled with your age. And I mean that with full respect. Adults too should not be filled with folks your age. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm being very respectful when I say that. Not disrespectful, but it's still a fact. Brothers and sisters, the average age of Adventism right now is 67. Do you understand the, 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 the problem with that? Brothers and sisters, if something doesn't change, 20 years from now, we're going to be doing vacation Bible school in the nursing homes. It's reality. Last year, I stood before the adults at the Iowa-Missouri camp meeting, and I said, I want everyone that's an Adventist to stand up. And they all stood up. There was about 600 people there that night. And then I said, now, with all due respect, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but if you get a discount at a restaurant, <laughs> or if your hair is gray or white, I would like you to sit down, and I am not making this up. Out of 600 plus people, do you know how many people were left standing? 14. We have an epidemic among us. Out of 150 of my graduating class, do you remember how many are still in the church today of my friends? Four. We have an entire generation missing. Why? Because notice, when a child turns 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, in real life, they are transisting for themselves from the imposed to the intrinsic in life, are they not? And if the church they belong to refuses to make that transition with them, but continues to present God only in the imposed model, what will the young person begin to believe about that church? It is irrelevant. It doesn't have anything for me that works for mom and dad. Anyone ever heard those statements before? but it doesn't help me any. Do you understand why it's so vital that we begin to understand God not only in the imposed paradigm, but in the intrinsic? Amen. We are at a place where we either understand this and get this and transist and move, or we go extinct. Do you understand? Yes. Now, some of you say, well, Herb, they do come back. That is true. Some of them do come back. And when do they come back? Notice this. This is even more interesting. When do they come back? When they have children. Why? Because which one do the children need? Imposed or intrinsic? Imposed. And they know where to get it. So they bring them back to church. Are you hearing me? Because then all of a sudden the church becomes relevant again. But what a shame that we lose the majority of them for those years and most of them forever. What a shame. Tonight, God is calling us to reclaim a missing generation. That's gone. It is interesting to me, and I, have, I honestly was puzzled by this until someone else pointed it out. The book that I've been recommending all week that we just printed, that just came out, is having a tremendous amount of success with 20s, 30s, and 40-year-olds that no longer fellowship with us but were raised Adventist. A tremendous amount of success with that crowd. And I would scratch my head and wonder, well, why is it affecting them? It's just the gospel. I know that sounds... But why is this so effective? And then someone pointed out, it's because Herb 
every concept in there approaches it from guess which paradigm? From the intrinsic. And it makes sense to them. It is vital that we begin to make that transition in our own relation to God. Remember, something is not right or wrong because God says so. God says so because it is right or wrong. Some have said, well, Herb, I'd like a list. Could, could I just get a list of the things that are intrinsically helpful and intrinsically harmful so I can do one and do the other? You know what it is? It's the law. And in the, under the imposed model, we rebel against the law, do we not? But in the intrinsic model, we crave for the law, don't we? We would love to have the law over here. Do, our attitude changes towards it, doesn't it? Because we start to understand, we cease to be rebels and we become obedient. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Bear with me. It's gone. (laughs) If I remember it, I'll say it tomorrow night. But the intrinsic or the imposed, the law becomes different. Things, oh, this was it, this was it. This helps us also culturally. How many love what we believe biblically at the core of our message, but many times get frustrated with the hooey of Adventist culture? Anyone ever been frustrated with that? There's a lot of stuff that we call sin that is not intrinsically harmful. There's also a lot of things that we say are okay that are intrinsically harmful. Have you noticed that? But under the imposed model, we fall into the same trap as the Jews. We begin making our own man-made lists of right or wrong. What protects us from that is moving into the intrinsic model when we begin to look at reality and see what is really harmful. God, through your grace, through your spirit, please give me wisdom to see what is genuinely harmful and what is genuinely not. Under the imposed model, we look at some things that are harmful and we say, how can Ellen White say that that was sin? Brothers and sisters, you can eat cheese and still go to heaven. Do you believe that? But for some people, is cheese intrinsically harmful? Yes, Yes, but it's not about salvation. It's about constipation. Do you understand the difference? (laughs) But when you understand that, all of a sudden you're more willing to be open to the concept, aren't you? Aren't you? See, it takes rebellion and cuts it off at the knees if we just appeal to people's reason. And that is what God is calling us to do in this century. If we don't do it, our culture around us will force us to in order to survive. And that's the time we find her. We are behind the times, brothers and sisters. It's happening too late, years too late. Praise God, though, his grace is sufficient for us to redeem the time, amen? And your children, I don't care who they are or how they were raised or what mistakes you made, there is still hope for them, amen? You are not their savior, Jesus is. And he can still reach them and now is the time to do it. But we must begin to make sense. Not just rules, sense. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness tonight and your love. Lord, what an incredible truth that you have given us father paul saw this this was the whole point of the book of galatians transisting from imposed to intrinsic and father for a long time we've been arguing about the book of galatians in our church father my prayers that we begin to see it in its fullness we begin to understand it from the inside out that we begin to understand the benefits. It's not lowering the standard, Lord. It's not moving from conservative to liberal. God, there is a third option out there you're calling us to. That is neither. It leaves both. Jesus was neither a Pharisee nor a Sadducee. He was in his own category. And God, that's what you're calling us to. Father, please give us wisdom. 
Give us spiritual maturity, Father. May we grow up into the fullness of what you are. Not just for our sake. God, not even just for our children's sake. Not even for the world's sake. But Father, most of all, for your sake. In your precious name we pray all this. Amen.